Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are discussing a paper that's titled A Comparative Study of Breed Differences in the Anatomical Configuration of the Equine Vertebrae Column. So that is looking at the differences by breed in how the spine is structured. And this is by Jin Jan Peter Spoormakers et al. And It's a very interesting paper that is looking at the importance of the equine thracolumbar vertebral column, so the spine in the horse. And it's looking at this in regards to orthopedic disease or disorders. It's understood that there's a well-recognized and diagnostic imaging that's more feasible, but little is known about the variations that actually occurs within breeds. So this is... Interesting, I think, in the sense that in people, we very more or less standardized in the number of cervical, thoracic, lumbar and sacral vertebrae we have. But they actually found when they looked at three different breeds, which are quite different when you picture them. So we've got warm blood horses, Shetland ponies and then the semi-feral conic horses. And they looked at the causal cervical vertebrae, the thoracic vertebrae, lumbar vertebrae, and sacral regions. And it was 30 warm blood horses, 29 Shetland ponies, and eight of those semi-feral conic horses. So it was a nice number of horses to investigate. They used CT imaging and then visualized the images using volume rendering. So essentially CT, your computed tomography, takes little slices of image all along the spine and volume rendering is just a word for basically putting all those slices together together and creating a nice 3D image that you're able to look at so you can actually move through the image of the spine on screen. So really brilliant high level technology to see what these differences are. So when they looked at this, There were variations, so variations can be based on breed and ancestry, they can be kind of inherited and we can see the same variations occur in certain breeds, but they found that there were variations in the causal cervical area frequently seen in warm blood horses. So 43% of the warm blood horses had these variations, so that was quite significant. There was also variations within the lumbar and thoracic vertebrae and sacral that were seen in 78% of the semi-feral conic horses, um, 53% of the warm blood horses and 38% of the Shetland ponies. But we'll go through each of those in a little more detail. So when they were looking at this as well, they also looked at what's called anacolosed intratransverse joints. And just to give you a little bit of background for when we mention that, so anachylosis is when a joint becomes really stiff, and that can be due to an abnormal adhesion, 
um, or it could be the result of an injury or the result of a disease in the animal. So overall, there were significant differences which were quite fascinating. And I think we'll kind of mention how they pertain to how we interact with horses and how we might have to reconsider how we um, carry out certain procedures with horses, especially when it comes to horse riding. But the study did say that there was a limitation and um, that was that the clinical data of the horses were only incompletely available. So precluding any conclusions about potential chemical implications of these anatomical variations. So basically to assess the functional importance and the clinical relevance, we would have to look further into this. So Nancy and I can hypothesize how these variations might have an impact, but more studies will need to be done to actually prove what difference they make. But it was a really fascinating study, Nancy, to see that there actually were different spinal variations based on breed. Yeah, and it really made me wonder about um, how often these variations occur within a breed because um, the Shetland ponies, some of them had, uh, instead of having an 18th rib, they had just an appendage of a rib. And how often um, do our horses come up with uh, muscle or skeletal or both uh, disorders and they're lame? And then you usually call a veterinarian out if it doesn't um, subside or you can't quite find the cause. And they're all related to something malfunctioning or um, going wrong with the axial um, skeleton or the appendicular skeleton. And the axial is actually the best way I can describe it is the vertebral column. Wouldn't you say, Kate, that yeah. that um, backbone from the pole, the neck, you know, down through the withers and then on out the back to the sacrum. And then the appendicular would be the appendages, the shoulder, the legs, the ribs, anything that attaches to that um you know, vertebral column. And so I guess I just never really thought about there being variations in the structure of each breed or within each breed. So that may account for, a, you know, some of the lameness problems that seem to go on and on and, and don't really get resolved. So um, they had an interesting, um, oh, kind of comment on this about the, I don't know what you would call it, it would be kind of like understanding the equine back. And in one, one research paper, it said that the back evolved to carry weight in, in the horses, but it wasn't the weight of the rider, it's the weight of the organs and especially the weight of the digestive system. So you end up with a backbone that doesn't have a whole lot of flexibility to it. Like a cheetah has a very fl flexible backbone and that's why it can run so fast. Well, you have a pretty fast animal in a thoroughbred or a quarter horse, but the backbone is still not as supple 
is what um, other animals have. So I thought that was a good way to put it. Um, we think there's a lot of movement through the spine, but when you really analyze it, most of this movement comes from the neck and the pelvis giving the appearance of bend in the back. And I went to a lameness forum this past weekend. And when they put the sensors on the horse to use the computer to detect lameness and where it was, the severity of it, where did they put the sensors, but at the pole and at the sacrum. And those were the two locations that could pinpoint lameness. And that made so much sense to me when I read this paper that, you know, that is uh, such a high tech way of helping us with these lamenesses. Cause I think it's very, very difficult in a horse to detect specific lameness because there can be so many vari variables come in. And uh, anyway, I love this paper. It is open ab uh, access and I'll put the link. And if anything, the pictures are really good because some of them didn't have the lumbar. They went from lumbar five right into sacral one. So they didn't have that lumbar sixth vertebrae. So it's amazing. That just never entered into my mind that there would be a different structure. Yeah, I think to give people a recap as well. So if you're starting at the pole of the horse, we've got the skull. Then we've got our first two cervical vertebrae, which allow the head to really move in all directions. Um, and then through the neck, we've got the cervical vertebrae from the withers through to the end of the ribs, roughly is your thoracic vertebrae. Then from the ribs to the point of the hips is your lumbar vertebrae. And just using those as land markers, because obviously they don't connect at the point of the hips, but it runs to roughly about the point of the hips on the horse. And then we've got our sacroiliac joint where the hips join onto the um, spinal processes. And then it moves from lumbar at that point to sacral. And that's from the point of uh, connection there to the hips down through to the dock in the horse. And the variation was just really fascinating to me. Like, so as you said, Nancy, there were horses that had 19 rib pairs instead of 18. So that was across the breeds. It was one Shetland pony, one Connick horse, and one warm blood horse had 19 pairs. But what they found was in the Shetland pony, it had 18 thoracic vertebrae, as is quote unquote normal. And then the last pair of ribs was actually coming out of the first lumbar vertebrae which was really fascinating because that's quite a variation. So then they did have their six lumbar vertebrae, like Nancy mentioned, but then in the conic and the warm blood horse, who also had 19 ribs, they had 19 vertebrae in the thoracic region. So that, I mean, still an extra rib, but at least it matches up with it's coming from the thoracic vertebrae. But then they only had those five lumbar vertebrae after that. So where there were, quote unquote, additional vertebrae, the overall length 
of the spine was the same because they were lacking that lumbar one where they had gained that thoracic vertebrae. Um, but in one Shetland pony, they found that it had 18 ribs on the left, but 19 ribs on the right. <laughs> Just throwing the rules out the window again. like, And it's something that we would never know we would never see even when you're talking about lameness Nancy and we do these extensive workups and they can cost a lot of money to get to the bottom of a lameness and it can be incredibly frustrating from the point of view of caring for the horse and the horse is continually suffering with this chronic lameness it's not something that we would ever image that entire back I, I mean would that be done where you've got thoroughbreds that are worth big money, would they be more likely to be sent in to have spinal imaging done? Well, probably there would be some, um, you know, nuclear scintography done. Maybe um, you could do some imaging, but like even in this paper, they had to euthanize the horses that were part of the study. And I will add, most of these horses were having problems where the owners were at their wits end and they were going to have the horses um, euthanized uh, anyway. So then they opted to go ahead and do the CT scanning. Uh, but then they also investigated by... Um, you know, euthanizing and using the cadavers to learn and to actually see where these um, variations took place. So um, in a racing stable, if it's a, you know, high dollar horse and the horse had a lot of capability, they, they might try and do the imaging, but sometimes it doesn't show up and you have this vague lameness that all it's doing is hindering full performance. And so um, there was a thoroughbred study that this uh, paper mentioned um, that it was like 28% of thoroughbreds had a little variation in some of their uh, vertebrae. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if there's a genetic component to it because the Shetland ponies were thought to um, have that, I don't know, I think they were short in the thoracic vertebrae or had extra, and they thought it was something going haywire um, that expressed short legs in that breed. Yes. They explain it in the paper much better than I just did, but it's all along with that same genetic mechanism. So um, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, you could actually um, tie a gene in that would express an extra thoracic vertebrae or less lumbar vertebrae and how that would affect performance over time and rider weight bearing. So um, I just thought this opens up a whole new can of worms because so often we focus on muscle problems in the horse's back. We talk about kissing spines and yeah. uh, we don't ever really tie it into having one less or one more vertebrae or the fusion of vertebrae 
causing problems. So it's kind of a complex and I don't think, um, you know, we have any of the answers. I think it's very individual and it's also, um, you know, makes it more important to be able to try and get an accurate diagnosis. And I think to the best of my knowledge now, I'll have to look into this further, but diseases like kissing spines i don't think we've really looked at them in the concept in the context of um genetics necessarily like breeding programs and how that can play a role in them but it's something that i'll go away from this podcast and have a look and see if there's any research on that because this paper did mention as well the impact and um, breeding programs can have and um, i mean that can be particularly true in horses they mention in dogs for example i think a really great example of this is the german shepherd um for any german shepherd lovers if you look back on original pictures of german shepherds even like 60 to 100 years ago they didn't have that sloping back down into their hip ends they were much more square and they had a lot less hip problems and back problems back then so you know, breathing can have this knock-on effect. But what I think is really interesting about now having this knowledge is that we can kind of correct, I don't want to sound like we're time-traveling or anything, but the course of the future in the sense that maybe we can utilize this to inform breathing programs a little bit better and make better choices that have an impact on welfare going forward. I think too, Kate, that's such a, um, so true what you just said. And, and it seems like the Konek horses that were kind of the semi-feral horse in this group, they um, had the most commonly described standard of the 18 thoracic, six lumbar, five sacral, and seven uh, cervical or cervical. So, you know, the fact that the warm bloods had more human intervention with the breeding than the conics, even though the conics were getting close to extinction and were brought back, it's still, they had the most standard across their specimens. So that is kind of um, interesting. And, you know, I just think anything we can do to strengthen that spine of the horses and the um, vertebral, I mean, regions and all that, I think it's going to help us in the long run because that's the supporting structure. That's what the rest of the horse is built around. And um, it was really interesting to, to read this. And actually the pictures, it sounds like I'm more of a picture person, but you could actually see those vertebrae going in to um, the next vertebrae. And yeah. um, I'm going to definitely um, have it on the homepage and definitely good research. And hopefully there'll be more coming out in this area, especially for those of us that are into sport horse and performance. Yeah. And I just found that sentence there where it said little work has been done um, looking into the differences in back mobility, impairment of athletic function or predisposition to the development of back disease. 
So I think it is just a really interesting area to keep an eye on. So I think this is an area that we can definitely grow a little bit more with our research and see how we can implement this better. But those pictures are absolutely brilliant. Like I highly recommend, even if you're not inclined to read a research paper, have a click in and look at the pictures because they're explained really well underneath as well what you're looking at exactly and they've got little markers on the photos of the spine so you can kind of follow along and understand you know looking at a and looking at b what those differences are yeah i thought it was uh, a wonderful paper just to get an overview of how complex everything is and um i picked it out because I have a friend having a problem with her horse right now. I don't think it's um, anything neurological. I think it's definitely an old injury. And uh, so that's how I found this paper to kind of, um, you know, get her on the road to recovery with her horse because, um, you know, she doesn't want him to be in pain. And if we can't resolve this, then she'll probably decide to euthanize because she she doesn't want to continue on any suffering um, on his part because, um, you know, she's had him for quite some time. But anyway, I just uh, thought, you know, if I could show her anything that dealt with the vertebrae and um, all the how that's the foundation of your from the pole to the sacrum and anything in between what you do at the pole affects the sacrum at the withers that's um thoracic vertebrae one to four even that had uh, some anom anomalies in it so uh anyway i hope you guys enjoy it too and we could bring it to your attention definitely something i've never really looked into or thought of before it was a brilliant paper thank you yeah. so much nancy for suggesting it no and we've had a couple of suggestions and come through so thank you for those of you that have sent us in areas that you're interested in we'll be getting to those shortly um and i think that was all that i had for this paper had you anything you want to add nancy nope that was it i probably said enough <laughs> <laughs> no it was fascinating it's an absolutely lovely paper to read i really enjoyed it okay well thanks so much kate and we'll be back next week thanks nancy take care Bye-bye.